You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Hitting the button. The button has been hit. It's kind of nice to control... uh, Wait, hold on. The recording, the the timer's not going. Is it going for you, fellas? Doing minus two eleven. It started. It's <laughs> yeah. That's doing it on on the other piece that we use too. It just like jumps to oh a goodness, random time, like two fifteen. Okay. Well, we're not gonna sweat it, right? Anybody getting deja vu here? Yeah. Just missing one guy. When's he coming? He's not, he's stuck in a meeting. He, or napping. He's one of the two. Napping. Well, if you listen to our family of podcasts at this point, you're probably getting sick of hearing our three voices, but suck it. We're doing it anyways. It's us three. Me, Rich, and Bracken, isn't it, fellas? I kind of want to defer to Rich. He's always top left quadrant for me when we are doing these, and he is again today, and I just feel like he's meeting host. I'm just going to sit here and, and not talk. I'm going to wait, wait to be talked to during this. How do you like, do you like leading or do you like following more? Like, cause you've suggested a couple times to me to maybe take the lead on a race brain episode. And I have not mostly cause they're fantasy drafts and I feel like that's your shtick, but do you prefer to, do you prefer to lead or do you prefer to just be a guest? What, what do you In my more? like personal conversation style, I'm more of someone who's going to ask and accept information than put out information and wait for it to come back to me. So more of my natural inclination is to kind of lead so I'm outside of my comfort zone, and that's fine. You guys are very gracious and easygoing, so this will be nice. I got no problem with this. The few times that I've spent time with you and your wife, I just get the sense that she leads. What it is that? I don't know. Explain more. Now, I mean, I'll let the audience take that <laughs> however they want. I'm not going to jump to anything. You going to accept that, Rich? Does she have the big boy pantalones in the family? She's she's definitely more particular about things. So she's very outgoing. outgoing. She's not. Oftentimes, you meet someone's spouse. If it's a female that I coach, I meet their her husband generally, and uh, sometimes they are more reserved. Or if you're coaching a guy and you meet the wife, sometimes they're more reserved. It's not their venue. They're just a bit more re- reserved. And she's just very outgoing and confident very friendly from the first time yeah, i absolutely. met her very friendly very much a, a socializer Definitely. thrilled to meet you that was in new york right i was in new york or was it uh orlando the first time no was she, she in orlando? orlando no that's where i met uh katie Magida, mm-hmm. kate for the yes. first time that was still orlando. pretty covety very that was for- yeah who wears the pants in your relationship bracken well i mean anyone who owns zubas is obviously the pant wearer Mm, so you're the pant wear saying it publicly i I check over my shoulder yeah yeah we we have a good give and take i think kirk that's what i would say i'm just making sure (laughs) what are we talking about we we've already covered all we already covered the other stuff plenty of topics on race brain that, that uh we've touched upon what are we talking about today well let's um well, first of all, on Race Brain, we talked about the Ultra World Champs, which I think that episode dropped today or yes. We're recording on a Wednesday, but... Uh, Pause. Yes? My mom already listened to Training Tuesday and Race Brain yesterday by the time I went over to her house after dinner to chat. No, before dinner. My mother still doesn't know what a podcast is. 
She had a day of just listening to us talk. Think about that. Our training Tuesday, it was over an hour. And then race brain was what? It's always two. Right at two? 201? Yeah. Three hours of our voices my mom had. What did she do? Like, was she gardening or driving or like just sitting and intensely listening and taking notes? Like, there's ways out loud on the speakers. (laughs) Just, you know, putzing around the yard, around the house. Doing doing one time speed or is it like one point five, two? I do not think she would be a fast forward and listen person, but I found out Lisa is, and it's hurt. I don't like that one bit. You put out a lot of content. People want to get through it. My my parents not only don't really understand what a podcast is, they can't understand how my like living is tied into all of this somehow they don't understand one what a podcast is two i've tried to get them to listen i've helped them download the apps they just can't like wrap their head around listening to me talk about things they obviously don't care about and then three when i tell them that it's tied into like my livelihood they just quit even asking they don't understand i'm waiting for not waiting for but i know it's going to come where there's a point where i'm just not going to understand or or want to learn about new technology and is it already happening with tiktok are we already there I'm there. That's not new technology. It's a new platform. I mean, if you got on TikTok right now, I think you could navigate it a little bit, but I don't think you'd understand it right away. I don't understand the content most of the time on TikTok. It seems to be grown adults looking for attention on doing weird dances most of the time. There's a lot of good stuff on there. In fact, I was thinking that for Running Public, we should do just like 60 seconds short, like our Training Tuesday synopsis in one minute. Yeah. One minute nuggets every day, but just watching adults like, oh, look at this camera happened to catch me doing this weird dance that I think a 13 year old came up with. That's weird to me. I don't understand the content. And lip lip syncing, uh, like somebody saying something else and like acting like it's a sk- It's like the cringiest thing ever. Like this, con- this content doesn't work for me. I can't do it. You're just. I've unfollowed dozens of people screaming. because of that alone. Look at me. We, let's not let's not upset or offend some of our listeners, fellas, because I'm sure there's. We're a just talking about how old there. we are. Yeah, we're just talking. We're explaining what how old people think. Burn it down. That's fair. You guys don't understand what it's like to be 39. You have no idea. That is true. Almost, right. almost masters. We had. <laughs> if the three of us walked into a bar, who's most likely to be carded though? If I shave my face, put my hair, I'm trying to look cute. Maybe me, but that would be a very special circumstance. I think that that's. I think that that's right. Probably, probably Bracken. Most likely to be carded. You got that young face. I've had a young face my How whole many, life, even when I, I mean, was like, young. But the bald yeah, head. It's like, not that you don't you don't have to be old to have a bald head. But how many twenty year olds go straight <laughs> thick? That's fair. With hair, I look eight years younger than I am. Even with the hairline. If I put oh. a hat on. <laughs> Maybe with the hat on, yeah. I think that that's fair. <laughs> if I put a wig on. <laughs> then you'll be carded. Correct. All right, Kirk, lead us in. Damn. No, I mean, we could make two hours of this, and it would go nowhere, and I'd enjoy <laughs> myself immensely. But uh, we were recording Race Brain yesterday and organizing who we were going to talk to this week. And then I, it kind of dawned on me anyways. I have a couple of athletes personally. I'm sure some of you do. Like I think the hybrid space uh, curiosity is peaking for a lot of people who haven't tried it. Like I feel like 
a lot of us weren't sure if the hybrid space was going to stick for one. Two, people weren't maybe that interested in it up front because they were coming from like Spartan, which is outside and dirty. And this is like inside and sterile and, and all of that. And so now I think like it's gotten some validity. It's gotten some attention. And all of a sudden these athletes are like, you know what? I'm going to try it or I want to do it or I want to focus on it or I want to be as jacked mm-hmm. as Rich Ryan and da, da, da. And then I was like, you know, I got athletes that are making the switch this fall or they're going to try like, hey, let's go all in on a high rocks and let's pivot. And then it was like, well, Christ, one of our own Rich Ryan did that exact same thing. I mean, you were a pure thoroughbred runner running sub 15 minutes in the 5K two years ago. Just a runner. And then the transition, you've done well. And I thought we should chat that out today. That's why we're talking. Do you guys have athletes doing qualified for DECA in AC? Not pro. I lo- I love what they've done with the age group, with the top twelve in the age group, because then it makes it mm-hmm. uh, something to strive for. And we'll see how it goes with the mile and the deca strong too, because I think those emails come out. I think this weekend is the last weekend to qualify for those. So it gives like I've had a couple of people just train for deca strong or like just deca mile. So it gives people mm-hmm. more elements to kind of tackle and to go after. So I think it because like the concept when it came out, and I was on. Uh, obstacle race media uh, a couple weeks ago and matt davis asked me a question straight up he's like yeah this take is uh is decafit dumb <laughs> so, so like it can look kind of silly up front or like if you don't if you're not like into it but it seems to be creating some excitement there's a re- like things to really kind of push toward and i love that they've had this world championship qualifier yeah it's it's interesting to me. Maybe ironic is the word that just yesterday and then like four weeks ago and like seven weeks ago, we were kind of ragging on Spartan on Race Brain for making just dumb decisions with their brand, with their race, with their schedule, all of that. And yet they are DecaFit and I feel like they've done almost everything right. They've made the mm-hmm. same qualification standards for pro and open. We've been asking for that. We did a whole episode on that for age group. Why don't they do the same course? Why don't they have the same gated standards? Why do they have to have bottlenecks? Spartan nailed it for DecaFit. And they're paying out strong mile and full DecaFit the exact same at championship, which no OCR has really done. Mm. Even OCR Worlds pays, I think, the 3K less than the 15. Or do they not anymore? I thought it was the same, but I don't know. I I haven't looked at it this year. Euro championship short course was just less. The three K championship was less, and well, that's because short races are easier. Bracken they shouldn't be right. rewarded mm-hmm. with as much money. They're just so easy. They're only that's a three right. K. You saying Bolt should have been penniless when he retired? <laughs> <laughs> that's sarcasm, folks. Just in case you're wondering. Yeah, and like it, it all makes sense. Everything they've done, I agree with. And I thought the concept of Decafit was dumb, but they won me over just by being logical and smart and equal opportunity across the board so i just want to give them their dude their due shout out which is you're doing something right spartan and i really appreciate that and they definitely had opportunities to kind of fall into what spartan races kind of become just with like the judging and like with the payouts and things like that they seem to be taking a look at all of the things that people complain about spartan's like we have a new lease on life here let's just start fresh and they've been doing a good job and it's organized and it's measurable. It's it's been pretty solid. Rich, okay. let's talk about you. Um, we'll talk theory as we go, I'm sure. But I want to walk through. So we've interviewed you. Is this number four, Rich Bracken? You or can, six is this five? potentially? 
Okay. Well, we've done some nutrition with Rich. We've done get to know Rich. We've done coaching series. Rick knows coaching mm-hmm. series with Rich. Hybrid one I'm training. Missing. This might be five. High volume, low running. That was on. Something. That was on reinforcement. I think this is five. Huh. Yeah. So, anyways, what I'm getting at is, it's like, have we explored all avenues with you? And I think the answer is actually no. I think, I think the one thing that we haven't talked about with you yet, in which I think you can speak to as well as anybody, is like is the transition as I alluded towards to hybrid, which means high rocks, DECA, anything else that starts popping up. Right. But like, I want to know from the beginning, the why for you, like why as a successful runner, did you one leave running pure running two go OCR and then three, take that like another level and sort of mix it. Like, why did you transition from, let's just, let's leave it at OCR, OCR to hybrid, like what was, why did you transition there? So I'll, I'll back it up even a little bit further. When I got into OCR, I kind of thought it was what hybrid racing was going to be where it's like, okay, there's this blend of strength and running and, and the training will kind of mix itself together. And that that's how you train for it. That's how you'll do well. After, I don't know, probably my first race in OCR, I was like, oh, okay, this is trail running and grip strength stuff and then if you can really get hyper focused on those two avenues you'll probably have some success there and the strength stuff kind of falls to the wayside and that's something that i really enjoy doing uh coming out of college i went i found the weight room like almost immediately and then in 2011 found crossfit so two or three years after college wasn't wasn't the crossfit and was still kind of had my toes in it in endurance and then getting stronger and then in this like metcon competition style of of training and that that's not what OCR is at all. So I dropped a lot of the strength training components of what I like to do to focus on like getting good at trails and just improve my grip strength, join a rock climbing gym and just try to figure out how to get better at OCR. OCR 101, you followed the it, it, Yes. And that, I remember one, one, after one season, I was just like, you know what? I was, cause I was trying to balance a bunch of different stuff, like do some strength here or there. And I was like, I'm just going to make it real simple run a bunch of miles and go rock climbing three times a week. And it worked great. (laughs) And I came out and was probably had my best season by being that simple. Was that the, uh, sorry to keep interrupting, but was that the 10th place U.S. National Series a couple of times, Rich Ryan? Was that your best season when you were, you'd finished, I think 10th a couple of times, right? In some U.S. National Series Yes, I was 10th in the series series, I believe that at Jacksonville in Alabama. Right behind, right behind you two in Alabama. I think you were what, 6th or 7th and 8th? Eight and nine or seven and eight. Seven and eight. You caught me with under a mile to go. You rolled right past me with Ryan Woods, if I recall I correctly. Kirk's ass through the whole course. <laughs> you did, and then I just <laughs> murdered me on like on. Olympus or something. Like, or a Z-Wall or something. Yeah, because <laughs> Woods had it failed like Spear that, yeah. early, and he came roaring back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we were all kind of right in that mix. But yeah, it was after the year after... Because Bracken, when did you leave the leaderboard? Was it after 18, right? That was 2019, would have been. 2019 season. So, yeah, so I, I left 18. Yeah, at the end of 18. So yes, leading into 19, it was like, all right, I stopped doing the leaderboard thing, and I was like, this is what I think makes sense for this now. Um, and that's when, I yeah, I, then I went after the national series, ended up like 10th there. I was on the pro team the next year, which was a big goal. But then when I saw, I guess it was High Rocks was the first notion of anything like this, would have been... 2019 Bracken when was when was High Rocks first rolled out Miami 2019 was my first and fall, fall. Right? yes that's right because it was after the national series and I was so beat up after trying to chase this vert and just like killing myself up and down that I, I remember my 
quad, like hip and knee were all jacked up and I could barely squat because my knee was so inflamed from doing all this uh, volume and vert that trying to do wall balls was not great. But there was a Miami race, I think, at the after the national, like December or something, wasn't it? I don't know. But once yeah. I saw that, I was like, okay, then the next season I... Yeah, it was after Thanksgiving, I think. So I think. too. So I think Thanksgiving morning I did a high rocks sim or something like that. Right around that time. It was cold. And then just went and did work at dinner. That's a good way to do it. You did a high rocks. I remember talking about that on the podcast, actually. So the following season was 2020. I had decided I was like, okay, I'm going to do the stadium series and the hybrid stuff because that seems to be... Hold on. I'm not happy right now with your answer. You just had the best OCR season so far to date. You were 10th in the U.S. National Series, and you just decided to pivot. I'm not happy with the why here. At least I don't understand. So help me understand. I think it was a lot just being so beat up and how much I put into the – like I've talked about this a couple times, just like how – where I was living. I didn't. Have, I was in a center city, Philadelphia. I didn't have a car. I was doing these dramatic things trying to get to uh, Blue Mountain where Palmerton's held. And it was just taking up so much time and the results I was getting, and I just wasn't happy with the races. Like I just didn't love the experience as much anymore. It's always fun to go out and do it, but I just saw the kind of writing on the wall. It's like, if I really want to excel at this, I'm going to have to change literally everything and like uproot my life and get to a place. And I wasn't convicted that that's where I wanted to spend my time, you know? And then when I saw higher, I was like, oh, okay, cause this is like an avenue I can kind of get back into the CrossFit, the strength training things that I've done in the past and then it really kind of took off. And then I started getting back in that style of training and, and was able to get into a couple races. And then I was able to kind of, and then I think I pushed my chips in shortly thereafter. Cause I think I've only done, I don't know, two or three OCR events even since Tahoe 2019. Well, Kirk, I'm not happy either. Rich, you're not satisfied. <laughs> Rich, dang it. Because Rich. OCR hits a lot of us that way. Where it's not our strength, it's just a version of what we would want a race to be for mm. our strengths. I think Kirk and I are both probably in this boat that the national series, it doesn't really suit our skill set, but there's just such like a magnetic pull towards doing that. And there's this this feeling in OCR, you're compelled to do the national series and it's all that matters and longer and steeper is better and all that and we, most of us just can't ever break away from it. Even if you look at someone and say, you would be so much better if you just went in on blank. Most people won't do it for ego or public perception or just chasing that goal of trying to be an elite OCR athlete. Why didn't you follow that same script? Like, What was the draw? So I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine who's kind of a performance coach as well, and he kind of went through a couple exercises in terms of like how to set a direction for the following season like what I need to do to reach this next level and he kind of posed the question of like what do I think is cool and like I kind of set up these two scenarios like what is more cool someone who wins a 50k or runs like under 1330 in a 5k and immediately I was like well the 5k is cooler so in my in my heart, in my brain, just with my background track and field, that's what I like. That's what I think is cool. And I don't necessarily think trail running or being great at trails is as cool as like pushing yourself in that, in a different way. Like the grit that you need for OCR and pushing yourself that way is unique, but the ability to set yourself to, 
this point where everything's just screaming and just have to like hang on for dear life and to see how you can physically push yourself to me is cooler and the I like that it's much more objective and you could kind of see the progress where OCR is just like yeah sometimes it's like I think this is going better and then you don't know until race day so it's it's more of the puzzle of the hybrid space and like figuring out how to maximize my fitness potential as opposed to maximizing my like grip potential is basically what it came down to. And I just like, I just prefer the the training and the physical stuff for the hybrid space. That's actually the hardest part about making a transition as a pure runner to OCR is the objectivity is taken out and everything about what you do is suddenly subjective. And the only real comparison on the race course is how you do compared to others. And that is so subjective. It's like very rewarding and also very unsatisfying at times when numbers and objectivity was everything you focused on. That was your your status score if you were a video game. Like I'm a 1335K or like here I am. And now I'm just like a guy on the trails and I'm power hiking up a hill. Like what is this bullshit? It's a very tough transition. I struggled with that. If it weren't for a few time trials or road races along the way to confirm that, hey, my fitness is improving. I would highly be doubting where this training was going. So I can relate to that completely. I still wonder. It's why I'm enjoying the road so much right yeah. now myself, doing these traditionalist workouts. Like, ah, there it is. It's Directly working. paying off. So I get it. I don't know, Bracken, if you went through that. Yeah, it's working. I, I can't compare my arc because I got here so early. Mm. Like my my apples that were dangling in front of me to grab were podiums and, and wins. Those aren't available anymore to most mm. people. They wouldn't be available to me if I was getting out of college right now because the sport's different. So I didn't need like objectivity. It was it was just there. I it was, you stood on the podium or you didn't, but since it was always attainable, it kept mm. me going. So my my transition was was a strange one. But what you both touched upon is the single biggest. Uh, I don't know what people what people would say their their reason for going to High Rocks or Deca is that they can train for the event and know before they get there how it's going to go just like you go what five by mile on short rest and you know roughly within 15 seconds what you can run in a 5k you run 10 by thousand you know what you can run in an 8k you run your high rocks or deca sim you know roughly what you're probably could do on a good day in deca how many races in ocr have we shown up to knowing that the only test to tell me how i could do here is actually doing an OCR event. And that's really, really difficult to maybe five years down the road, you now have historical data to say, I know when I hit X, Y, and Z in training, I'm ready to do well, but only because I raced 15 times to tell me that those things matter. And this is something with obstacle racing that I think bring a lot of people back is just the enjoyment of the event itself, like being at these venues, mm-hmm. uh, like, like the feeling of of the accomplishment after carrying the bucket up and down. Like they love just being there and just like the environment. And I'm not necessarily into that, into that, that much, <laughs> you know, I like the objectivity much more and the training like, and seeing the progress is a bit more fun than running up a mountain for the sake of running up a mountain. Like, I could just do that. And I think I will down the road. Like I think it will just like get into trail run, not be competitive and just have fun with that type of thing. But in terms of a competitive space, I don't, I don't love it. Isn't it a little ironic that you live in Denver now? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a little still great bit trails. Ironic. 
still a great chill. I can go and just chill uh-huh. and just not worry about it and not have to like put this not be like bombing down the descent and be like, is this fast enough? Is this going to be good enough? Can I hang with Veerman? Can I hang with Johnny Luna Lima going? I could just go and do it. No, no way. No, you can't. No, you can't. Not somebody who's competitive, who's been focused on shit his whole life. You're not going to go fluff up and down a mountain. You're going to go and then end up racing. But I'm happy. Brecken, are you more happy now with his, now the understanding? I'm a little happier. Yeah. Okay. And that's track, right? You don't get done with track or road racing and be like, you know what that was? A heck of a course. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you don't enjoy the process in track. Very rarely is there a pleasurable moment on the track. Right. You have satisfaction of moving past someone or clicking off a split and realizing I'm on pace. But there you don't enjoy the sights or the sounds or the experience. It's rewarding afterwards. And that's what hybrid racing is. No one enjoys a high rocks during a high rocks. Even if you're winning, you're destroyed. I would say even stadiums, very few people mm. enjoy stadiums during cuz it's so brutal. It's not about the process, it's about redlining and having your result. And that speaks to your road and your track background. I was a track guy over cross country too, like in, in high school yeah. and college. It's always... Yeah, and for us, we didn't say that was a great cross country course. We said that was a fast course or that was right. a slow course. There was no enjoyment variable. You're like, well, you know, it was a slow course, but darn it, it was pretty. <laughs> no one says that in college cross country. I was thinking even like racing a venue like Tahoe or Utah, it's like, this is not going to be that fun. Like, I'm not going to be enjoying my surroundings because I'm going to be like laser focused on the competition. So the big appeal for it was taken out anyway. No, no I don't mean to be a dick, but I'm speaking on my behalf but as well. power through. So when I sit, but power, I'm, I'll push through for the sake of conversation. Um, is when you move to hybrid space, you are and and just traditional racing, you are rewarded for your efforts 100% of the time, meaning your training will pay off. Everything comes through like rent comes due on race day and there's nothing up to chance because you've had a chance to train everything. There's nothing you can fail. And now I recall race is not always going perfectly for you in Spartan and for me as well. Trust me, I've had my snafus this year. And the most frustrating part about it is going, I am better than every single person here. I am faster than everybody next to me. And my fitness is better than it's ever been. And I took sixth place today. That is bullshit. (laughs) And you have that happen enough times and you go, you know what? I'm sick of that. I'm going to go out and tell a line and I'm going to know that like my hard work will be seen on course no matter, because now there's no chance or there's no mishaps. And I feel like you fell into that syndrome just a little bit. And right now, I mean, I have three miss, two miss spear throws and I mean, this has been a, I haven't raced much this year, but I'm pointing at myself here. So not to be a dick, but to say that, um, was that part of your process? I guess is what I'm getting Is at. that like, I just didn't feel like I could express my fitness and it was frustrating to the point where I was like, I'm finding something else. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, that's exactly what I'm asking. A little, a, a lot in the beginning of OCR, I felt that way. I remember my first like season or two, I was like, if I just didn't miss obstacles, I'd probably win a race. <laughs> but eventually it's like when you get to the competition enough and the competition rises up, it, it's like, okay, this is just a different kind of fitness, you know, especially like in the mountains in the, the championship races, it's like these these competitors are just better than I am at this whole thing, whether that is de- technical descents, 
go, go climbing at altitude, like getting through obstacles faster. Then it did kind of like be like, all right, well, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I could be at this. And that was actually uh, more of a relief to be around the good competition and be like, and to see where I needed to go in, in terms of my fitness. So I actually was happy when I got around like the national series type of athletes. So I knew like what I needed to do to kind of improve my fitness as opposed to like some of the regional races, like, oh, I missed a spear, missed the Z wall. Cause I'll miss the Z wall. I'll do it. Don't think I won't. <laughs> hey, I did that this year for the first nice. time. So I'm with you. And then yeah, the, thanks, man. so like that was definitely frustrating at first, but that wasn't the, the main reason at the end. It's like I'm, I'm fit and I need to prove it to, to myself or to whoever it was more just the enjoyment of the training. It's like I can improve my fitness in the mountains if I put myself in a situation where I, I can like figure it out. But I just like I just it's not as appealing. Let's let's just say it was not appealing but mm-hmm. dominant for you. Let's say because I would say that every race you've gone to, if I went back and combed through the start list, at most there's one person who's a better runner than you. Oftentimes it's zero you're often the fastest runner there. And sometimes there's one, you know, you might count a McDougal at a race or you might count woods back in the day might've been faster than you for like a small period of time before he started to age a little bit and you kept getting faster. Like there's sometimes one, usually none. If that showed in the results, if you were generally first or second, would that have been enough to keep you in this sphere or would it still have been the enjoyment of training would have pulled you to hybrid? I would like to think the latter, I would hope that I could tell myself yeah. that's like I could walk away. It depends on like how much my life was tied up into it. If I was like really kicking ass and like mm-hmm. was counting on it for my lifestyle. But like I would like to think that I would still still walk away. And this speaks to me more as like who I was as a person growing up and through high school and college. Like I, I was never like a mountain man. <laughs> you know, I wasn't very outdoorsy. So I would imagine that I would eventually get pulled away. Kind of like how Hunter did, you know? I mean, this is my finger pointed at me. I would. I'd do anything that I was good at. I would find enjoyment along the way. I didn't know if you were that person. Like, it, Did I leave because I could go be better somewhere else? Or is it just I wake up liking to train and I don't want to go train for OCR? Chances are if I was that good at, o- at OCR, I probably would still be as good at hybrid. You know? So like mm-hmm. in that scenario. You would still choose. Then you yeah, would choose hybrid. Seven. Yeah. Okay. So this is truly a passion project. This isn't just a, I'm finding something. Let me see how good else. I can be. Nah, I'm, 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 I'm a little bit beyond that at this point of my like life and career. When I was younger, certainly I was just like, try to find whatever avenue I could like, mm-hmm. but at this point it's like, I understand and going, kind of taking my lumps through OCR has really helped me figure out like, oh, like to actually get really, really good at something, there needs to be a commitment toward it and just taking your lumps and continue to move forward. There is no easy, there is no like automatic championship. And I feel like a lot of people think that, especially in OCR. I find that a lot in hybrid space now is people come in like, I think I, like, I've been lifting a lot. I've been, run- I was a runner and now I'm strong. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to be like a champion. And that's not the case, right? Like you need to spend that time there to really build yourself up. So I think I, I like, I appreciate that part. And it's like the coach in me as well. Yeah. So, um, the freebies are gone. The years of showing up and everyone's unprepared are, are gone. I think that's why people are into pickleball. They're like, maybe I could be the best pickleballer out here. I've <laughs> been seeing that everywhere lately. It's weird. Brack, I could see you being good at, I could see, sports, I could see but... you being good at pickleball. Fayed, West El Centro, I was pickleball dominant. 
Oh, so you have experience, too. I told you guys I was, I was, I was badminton undefeated in senior year, year gym class. Does that translate to pickleball? It's got to have some crossover. Bring I can't. It. That's probably badminton. Like, that shuttlecock, that's got to be – that's not easy. Dude, you want to know the ironic thing? The ironic thing about that is I beat everybody in the class twice. We did a whole thing. I went undefeated. And I have this, like, middle-aged uh, woman gym teacher, slightly overweight, um, and she goes, all right, Kirk, let's play. And so me and the gym teacher, I was like 64 and 0. She beat me like 21 <laughs> in front of everybody. So I went defeated other than my 45 year old female gym teacher. Took you to school, worked. gave you that humble pie. Best pickleball player I know was a D1 tennis player. It's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, oh, if you're that big. Doesn't move, doesn't really move. Just sits there and places right where you're not and knows right where you're going to hit. That's how she got me that exact yeah. way. Yeah, they don't, they don't. It's like a great racquetball player. They're not the ones. I was thinking racquetball too. They can just have you run. Like your athleticism is only so much in pickleball, I would imagine. In fact, if you're using it, you're playing it wrong. <laughs> right. So no, I don't think I'd be a great pickleball player. I think I'd be a a rec league champ and smashed by the good pickleball players. <laughs> Rich, if people have been living under a rock, I want to bring them up to speed. Um, I believe you were, let's just, I'm going to fast forward so people understand how you got there. Cause I want to put some structure to this conversation. So seventh at high rocks worlds, is that what you were seventh, seventh at the high rocks world championships, which is very impressive. And we would say that you, you peaked on at the right time. Like you figured something out to show up with your best fitness and best performance on the right day, periodized your training, uh, to culminate in a really good performance. I think you outperformed your seating because you were seated like 12th or something, I believe. I'm a little harder. I'm a little harder myself on this scenario. I came in 15th. I was actually the 17th. I was the 17th 15th. seed, but I came in, two people dropped out. So I was 15 out of 15. Okay. But the, uh, I was third at the North American Championships, Hunter behind Hunter and Kent, who got first and second. And the European Times, the right. way that they, they just did the top 15 times, their courses are faster. So even though I came in as the 15th seed, I felt like I was like the fifth seed. So like where I finished was like, okay. Like I felt like, like it's like when I thought I could have finished third, finishing seventh is like fine. And that's how you fabricate a chip on your shoulder for <laughs> next year. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. These, uh, these I like it. Yeah. Well, I was getting to a point here and the fact that you're all right at Thank hybrid you. Thank racing, you. Yeah. basically okay. is what I'm trying to get at. You're pretty damn good, okay? With, let's just say, podium potential at world. So um, let's walk us through that process so the listener can understand what you underwent. Because you actually, if I recall now, you actually sort of proclaimed it. Like on your social media, like, I'm rich, I'm now a hybrid racer, and I'm going to gain 15 pounds of muscle, and I'm going to change how I'm training, and I am all in. And you weren't really bashful about it. You didn't hide it. You were like, screw it. I don't care if people know what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. And you underwent like a makeup, yeah. honestly. Um, and so I wouldn't, that's, that's the whole thing I really want to talk about today is that process from going from like 160 pound rich to 180 pound rich to the, like what had to change with your training, uh, and with your physicality, even your body, like your structure to all of that stuff. So like rich says, I'm going to be a hybrid racer suddenly and stadiums. What does rich do? Like, what are the first changes you made to your programming to take the first steps towards that direction? Yeah, I think I was talking to you guys when I said when I mentioned going into a hypertrophy plan and Kirk, I remember being like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you're oh, so you're like, you're not going to do OCR anymore." Kind of I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm good." <laughs> but uh, so I initially came into it. I just came in with the body composition that I had. I was like, "Let's just change up my training, get a little bit more familiar with the machines, get familiar with the transitions, see how things go." 
Deck of Fit, they went great. <laughs> it was uh, like the first Deck of Fit event that I had run is still my PR. It was like a 30-11 or something like that, which at the time was the world record, which I think now would be like the fifth, no, fifth or sixth fastest time. But that went great right away. And then High Rocks, my first High Rocks is in Orlando where Rack and I saw each other down there and where we met Kate Megita. And who is not your wife? Is not my wife. She's great though. Yeah. Big fan. And I got worked. I got absolutely smashed in the high rocks and it was clear. What does that mean? Uh, what does that mean? So it was my time ended up being, I think, 67 and change, which is like a decent first attempt. But the way that it happened was not a decent effort. It was like got out. Uh, it was, Magida was in that race, hung with him for a little bit, hung with him with a sled some, really got like had a hard time running after them, was in the lead for a little bit and then just completely died halfway through. Like absolutely just like kind of that survival mode that we've been in. Let's just try to get to this finish line and every single piece along the way, there was no charge in me. It was just like, I got beat up so bad by the stations and the, and the strength of things that I more or less limped to the finish. And the next race was in Chicago. That was my second one. And basically the same thing happened even worse this time is that I had a little bit more of like a gear issue with that. As we found out, we can talk to ad nauseum about footwear and how to like make these the sleds work and I just didn't, wasn't prepared and I just didn't have a good, a good go ultimately because I wasn't strong enough, you know, and, and looking at this, like the high rock seems to kind of be the pinnacle to me of this, this big endeavor that you need to be really strong. You need to be pretty fast and you need to have great endurance. So I had, I thought I was fast. I thought I had great endurance. I wasn't strong enough in those areas. So I knew I had to get stronger and one of the best ways to do that is to put on muscle. You don't necessarily have to put on muscle to get stronger. You can get stronger, you know, neurologically or, um, or just like increasing the, the, the tendon strength, but there's only a, a cap that you'll get to. So putting on size is the, the main way. So I decided to go into like a hypertrophy phase, just putting on muscle and eating in a surplus and seeing where, what that could do for me. And, and the next year it came out and took seven minutes off of my high, high rocks time and finished third at the North American Championships where I was like eighth or ninth the year before. So that was really like the the kind of payoff for it. So do you want to get into like the nuts and bolts of that? Of how to... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to get into the nuts and bolts of like, how much did you weigh? How much did you weigh at the end? When you went into hypertrophy phase, how much did that affect your running at the time? Did you sacrifice your running in order to get bigger and stronger? Was it okay to get body fat uh, in addition to muscle, did it all pay off in the end? How strong does somebody need to be to do a high rocks? What did you find out? Where was your strength? Where is it? See, there's a rabbit hole. We yeah. could go and go and go, brother. That's what I want to know, all that stuff. How about you, Bracken? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, What we talked at the very beginning, Kirk, that we really ultimately started this when I stopped doing Obstacle Dominator and I was trying to think of, I do want to do another podcast. Who do I host with? It hit us that our phone conversations, we could have just recorded and someone would have listened to it. And I feel like we're at that point with, with uh, Rich talking about hybrid training where he and I have had some conversations. You guys have had some that people would have benefited from hearing and we're about to get into those nuts and bolts. The actual just nerd out training logged talk. I would love to get into the pieces of like the how strong versus how fast. Like I have, I mean, I have my numbers and what's nice about DECA and kind of, we did this on race brand a little bit or like where it's like, here's your strong, here's your 5k, here's your results. Like how, how this kind of put together. I don't quite have that for IROX, but I think we can kind of kick some stuff around for what, what that looks like. Um, have you guys ever been put yourselves in 
like a surplus for a muscle gain or is it just kind of going to the gym being young having testosterone getting strong mm. twice yeah i have how did you guys approach it unscientifically same dirty bulk just eat yeah dirty bulk dirty bulk and it worked and i was lean enough to stay pretty lean throughout it and just as long as i was lifting heavy in five days a week and showing up it worked what i did during both stages was i kept cardio mm-hmm. and i think when you come in fit and you keep cardio not just cardio but i kept aerobic training not just exercising training in there dirty bulk becomes a little bit more structured and streamlined I think that that's key though. And that's where I would steer people away from like not doing aerobic work. Because when you think about Mm -hmm. it, if you're going to be adding muscle through this training, you're going to need to build pathways at some point through that muscle. Exactly. And that's, that's basically what the the long, slow endurance work does, right? It builds capillary beds. Like to get that muscle working for you, it needs to get blood there. That's spending time doing aerobic work will help that muscle work for you. It's the concept of a shooter taking a thousand jump shots after a heavy lifting session, a pitcher throwing after. It's the same thing. If you bulk up without being able to do your movement, you will lose a piece of that. But if you keep doing your movement the whole time, you really don't lose it. And it comes down to a a nutrition uh, equation then. Like how much do you have to put Mm -hmm. in? And there's, you know, I think that with this, with hybrid space and things like CrossFit, they're starting to kind of rethink the way that concurrent training can work in terms of gaining muscle and keeping endurance on. And I, and I think it just always comes down to nutrition, how much you can actually eat. Like if you're the more and more you're running, you're just going to eat more to keep that available glycogen there. And there's a mTOR, which is the pathway that helps with muscle protein synthesis also relies on glycogen quite a bit. And I think when these studies, when they show like, oh, to get as strong as you possibly can, like things kind of tailor off when you're just doing, uh, when you're doing strength and endurance, where in strength, things will kind of rise exponentially. They're never really calculating how much, like how much people are eating. And that's, that hasn't really been studied yet in a controlled setting to see like how much people need to eat in order to kind of maintain their endurance while putting on muscle. But I think you can do it. I, I feel I feel like I have been able to do that fairly well, because um, that is always a thing, Kirk. Right? Like, is oh, I don't want to get too big. I don't want this to hurt my running. And there's a little bit. What's nice about hybrid is that you don't need to be incredibly fast. But if you were incredibly fast, it would be better. You know. So that was really the plan, kind of going in, like setting a caloric target based around the work that I was doing every single day and making sure I was hitting that and checking the scale every single day to make sure that that was also kind of going the direction where I wanted it to go. I didn't get too much into like the checking body fat because I knew that was going to be part of it and I didn't want to scare myself off because like in order to, to, if you really want to put on muscle, you kind of have to put yourself in that like caloric surplus and like uh, like really <sighs> providing your body the fuel that it needs to rebuild that muscle. You can't hit it to the calorie. No, 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 no. So you're either not going to build or you're going to build with surplus that those are the only two options yeah, really like, or, or take drugs and then just, then you could I mean, or you take could drugs. Deal, you can get them in. If you have a huge fat burning substance that you're taking and some anabolic agents, sure. You could lose body fat while bulking up, but no, you either have to overshoot or undershoot. And there's probably some like newbie gains that people can get. If they've never done any type of strength training, but most people who are doing mm-hmm. OCR are going to kind of move into hybrid. I would imagine have a, a little bit of that. So you might be able to put on some muscle without putting on fat just by structuring your strength training a little bit, but that'll plateau really quick. Yeah. Let, let's bullet point this then. Okay. 
how much was Rich? So Rich decides that I'm going to go in this bulking phase, and that's what is the barrier to my success is my my mass mm-hmm. and my strength in a sense because muscle mass moves weight as well when it comes to the sled yes strength matters mass also matters in some of the components to a high rock so there's no denying that um so rich is running how many miles before the bulk lifting how many days a week and then when he decides to bulk how much is he running how much is he lifting let's take nutrition out of it because i know you're a nutrition nerd and we can dive in as much as you want but i really wanted to focus on the Mm -hmm. training side Meaning, like, just compare the two for me. Like, what did you sacrifice, uh, and how did that focus shift? Like, give me numbers, like number of days, sessions, miles, all of that stuff. I'm curious how the two looked pre bulk and during. Yeah, the and I'm glad. I'm glad. Like, we hit the nutrition part first because I mean, I think that that is really the pillar. And like, you can't. You can probably do it with the training, but like, it's. You, just know if you're going to skip the nutrition part, you're probably not going to see the results that quickly. So, like I said, like moving into the hybrid space, I think I was doing mostly just kind of Metcon work, maybe two to three times a week, like just doing some sort of AMRAP or moving just in and out of station work, still kind of cardio centric. And then moving into a hypertrophy phase, I added two to three. I think two for me has been enough. I don't know if it's just be like what I can recover from on with the running but three seems to be too many and I saw results with two. So I just stuck with two straight up strength days, which would be in that hypertrophy rep range of, you know, eight to 20 reps per, per movement. And then I would always have, and then there would be some sort of a robot work every single day. So say it was probably eight. Do you remove your Metcons and your stations? I did. So you had only two lift sessions per yes. week. So they're a full body hypertrophy session. And in hypertrophy, you could just like make it pretty simple. I basically would do the same workout those both of those days. It's like I wasn't necessarily worried about hitting all the little stuff or like and what's nice about just putting on general mass, like I'm not a bodybuilder, so I'm not looking to sculpt my delts. You know, it's like I just want my glutes mm-hmm. to get a little bit bigger and my trunk to get a little thicker. So like back squats and strict press and things like that, deadlifts. Um, it's one of those things where you like, you think about like, what should I be doing here in a bulk? Pick the exercises in which you can move the most weight and focus on those. Like if you can only bicep curl 30 pounds an arm, but you can squat 300 (laughs) pounds, what do you think is going to move the needle more on the muscle mass front? So it's really, it's truly what it is. It's like you pick the things that you can move the most weight. You focus on those because that's going to be the neurological and the physiological stimulus that you need. I'm assuming that was your thought process. What's going to mess you up the most? What's going to create the most damage so that your body sure, has sure. to repair it? And yeah. that repair process is usually muscle. And, and uh, yeah, that, that was really it. Just keeping it pretty simple and doing that for uh, six to 16 weeks or something like that. With, with the High weight, like obviously you're doing that rep count, but keeping like structured rest giving yourself time to recover doing that like you're getting to 12 reps on some of these things and you're a rep or two Mm -hmm. away from failure like i I assume you're pushing the weights very heavy taking structured rest maybe 90 seconds even three minutes like really focusing on charging up so you can move the most weight during those sets correct again i'm assuming a lot here yeah like you know you know how it works right like in and undulating it a little bit but not everybody does right but that is that's basically it right like making sure you get as if it says eight reps like you can't do 15 of that weight. You can do like 10 if you're absolutely pushing it. And then there would be times where I'd move into like some full-on strength or moving the 
and I, I, this has constantly been my, my flow of training sense where it'd be like hypertrophy phase, then maybe into like more of a, 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 more of a strength building phase, which would be five reps and under is really where I spend a lot of my time, especially in season. But as I was preparing to change my body, it needed to be a lot more in that higher rep range. Um, so it was, yeah, two sessions. It would be, you know, anywhere from hour 15, to hour 30. And then, so whatever that is, three at two and a half to three hours of strength work per week and probably eight to to nine hours of aerobic work still. That was varying a little bit, not all running. That's high. Yeah. No wonder you had to focus on your diet so much. That your makes boy sense was eating white rice, just hammering. If someone told me I'm moving from running into hybrid training and I'm going to go into a hypertrophy block of training and I'm going to work on adding bulk, and if I add some fat, who cares? And they said, tell me what you think my week looks like. I don't think I would say, you know, I'm probably going to cap you at two lifts and let's get eight to nine cardio hours in. Wow. That's shocking to me, truly. Yeah. And it, it, it works. Like I would have been ready to, I would have probably upped my strength training before dropping my cardio because like we talked about before, I was really conscious of that. Like I didn't want to start from scratch. You know, I didn't want to like mm-hmm. have to have my runnings and like my fluidity change and like the mechanics of my running change. And, and that was not something I was really interested in doing. <laughs> and I, and I, like, at this point in my life being, you know, mid thirties as an athlete, maybe someone just starting out, maybe, but I still would work things concurrently either way. Um, but yeah, and that was just helpful in terms of measuring everything, making sure the weight was moving in the appropriate direction. Before you go, Kirk, I want to just reiterate what you said doing them concurrently it matters in this sport because you do them concurrently on Mm -hmm. race day if you had to try to move the needle in one spot you wouldn't do it concurrently but you in hybrid racing can't afford like you said to start from scratch you can't arrive jacked and you're running your aerobic threshold is now dropped a minute per mile you can't have that but if you're going to use them concurrently on race day it does make sense to get a little bit out of the vacuum and that's hard for people who are One of the biggest things I see in this sport currently is that I hire an OCR or running coach for OCR, and I hire a strength coach or CrossFit coach for Mm. hybrid racing. And it can absolutely work, but it does take a special individual who can wrap their mind around the fact that it's still a running race. You don't have to train like a runner per se, but... I can't even tell you how many athletes that I've talked with either through consults or just transferring over to our, our caseload that are doing it because their trainer doesn't value running concurrently with lifting. It's really hard to break out of that mold if that's not your mindset. Those studies that these people are going off that I cited like earlier, they're from the 80s. 1980 is like the like the main main one by uh, Hickson is like where what people will look at a lot and be like, okay, if we need to get strong – you need to just you shouldn't do endurance but they it didn't have all those factors in play and that they were still getting stronger you might not be as strong as you possibly yes. could be to like your potential but you're still getting stronger and the study shows that and that's enough you know like i don't need to be as strong as i possibly can be for like a powerlifting competition but i just need to get yeah. stronger so pick up from there kirk well i just want to bring i just want to make sure everybody including myself is understanding this correctly so uh, I'm assuming you were running roughly the same volume before and during your bulk. It sounds like ru- give or take an hour or two, right? Like you were still doing high volume running, what I would consider. You were doing two to three high tempo, lighter weight, maybe plyometric style Metcons. And all you really changed 
was you transition those strength works from Metcon style to very heavy, purposeful lifting twice per week. And then you put more emphasis on calories, clean calories, increasing your macronutrients to grow. So if I'm understanding, really what you did is you took high tempo strength work and made it into low tempo, high weight structured strength training, and then you upped your caloric intake. Am I understanding like the big changes there? Yeah. And that was like, you nailed it. Okay. To not make it overly complicated, right? Because let's just see if this is going to work. And it was, and it was working. So my question, did the running change? Your reps changed of your lifting. Did you have to re- to change your percentage of quality work? So that that because it was more of a base building phase, I kind of phased out a lot of the quality running. So it was mostly aerobic okay. work with that because it has to give somewhere, right? And if there was a quality session, it would have been spent maybe on like the rower or the assault bike or something like that. Something that was like a little okay. bit lower impact. Because um, I found the like. Yeah, I, I feel like I might be making it seem like you can just do it all, but it's it, it did. If I run and I'm beat up from running, like it it does hurt, but just my like mobility in the gym, you know, my, my ability to like feel good and, and move heavy weight. So I was conscious of that, especially during a hypertrophy phase. Where it's like, okay, the goal of this phase is the strength part. So just the same way that you wouldn't lift heavy before a quality running session if you wanted to be at like your peak running fitness, I was kind of flipped it. I was like, let's not go crazy with the, like beating myself up so that I feel good in the gym when I need to. That being said, Kirk, I think we would both agree. If you had to be beat up from one, I'd rather run hard, beat up from lifting than try to lift hard, beat up from running. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yep. So, so before this bulk, okay. So what, what I'm trying, who I'm trying to speak to today is the quintessential runner type, like Really the one, like we have a lot of people in the OCR space who are like bigger muscly people and then they try to become runners. Mm -hmm. Like you have just as many of those, which is great as you do like, let's say skinny runner types who try to become OCR athletes or hybrid athletes. So I want just this perspective to be laid out for those people um, pretty clearly because there's going to be, if we speak to a half a dozen or a dozen people who actually are trying to do this right now, I want it Mm -hmm. to be very clear. Um, and so before you started your, so bulking was pivotal to your current success is what I'm getting at. One, you had to get bigger. You had to get stronger in order to improve in the hybrid space, particularly high rocks. Um, that's, that's correct. Right. I'm understanding that was your simple thought yeah, process. Need to be stronger. Need to be bigger. Okay. So with that, <clears throat> before you started this bulk, you had some impressive performances on the running front. You had run a 1450, what? 5k time trial within that like a, year 14 it was like 1502 something. didn't get on it didn't dip under oh 15 my bad 1502 better watch them uh, sh- you're right you're gonna be right there man at that time all right 1502 in the 5k and then you ran a 10 miler in like 51 or 50 yeah 51 20 something you ran like five five ten pace or under 508 pace for a 10 miler i think he ran as fast as 5k in that race right i ran a six mile for ocr stars where it was, I was yeah. uh, 455s for the six miles. So yeah, I, my my second half, oh my second half of the five k of the ten of the six mile was probably under. Okay, you fast. <laughs> so he broke he broke fifteen in his second five k split of a ten k essentially. Yeah, screw yeah off, I did that. Rich. Just want to make sure we grasp that. Yeah. All right. Well, now I'm humbled instantly once again. So what I'm getting at here is this. So you do this. This guy, like, you're a guy who lives and dot. I'm being dramatic, but lives and dies by run metrics, being like 
I'm a 15025 care. I'm a 51 10 miler. And now you're putting on this bulk and you know it comes with that, even if you're still running. So I want to know what happened. I know you're doing mostly aerobic work and you weren't going out and time trialing, I'm assuming. Maybe you were, I don't know. But what happened to your running? Like, what did you have to tolerate? What did you have to give from your running to take on the strength front? I want to know that answer, if you have one. So it's probably more what we, what we talked about before, just like the quality work during the, the bulk and then just trying to have to work that back into place. So I would, yeah. I mean, metrics, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I want to hear metrics. Like, did you notably get slower? Not really on the aerobic side of things. My easy runs never felt necessarily slower. And so like what the, that year, all those times you just mentioned happened in one year and that was 2020. Right. And that's like, Everything was shut down. I didn't have a gym to go to. I started running a ton and that I I got good results from it. So when I started this bulk, it would have been uh, June 2021. Is that right? Yeah. And then so that was the phase then. And then OCR stars happened in November 2021, the previous year. And then that three mile that we ran, then I did specifically gear up for that race that was like a 1453 for three miles. So 1520 and change or something like that. So that was when I was running the OCR stars year before, I was probably 166. And then I ran 1520 something at 177 or something like that. So like there was definitely a little bit of time lost there, but in the grand scheme of things going from, yeah, 15 flat, to 15, 20 something with 10 extra pounds. I'll take that. I'll take that any day. Do you guys have like a, a I used to hear like this rule of thumb, like how much, what, what is, you know what I'm talking Like how much slower you get per mile based on your body weight. Do you guys have a, a rule of thumb thing? Somebody mentioned that to me after I posted my 5k time trial and said how fast I would be if I was a hundred, like what you don't do to people, but it was out of endearment. And it was like, how much do you weigh? And I said, I weigh about 170 if, you know, wake up, go to the bathroom, butt naked. And he's like, man, if you were like 160, that would be a 1402. <laughs> and I was like, is that really going to be a 1402? I don't know. It's yeah. <laughs> what are you losing in how how efficient really i mean like how effective is your muscle and the weight that you have you lost mm-hmm. a second per mile per pound roughly three quarters of a second per mile per pound yeah no wait no was it would have been that much no like five seconds a mile let's call it five, ten six seconds a mile six to seven so so seven would be seven tenths of a second per pound per yeah. mile yeah, something yeah. like that yeah yeah so three quarters of a second per pound per mile you lost by dropping quality work and adding mm-hmm. bulk. So if you had found a way to hit a cycle then of quality and keep your weight up, it would have been down like 0.2 to 0.5 seconds per pound per I mile. I think so too. And that's... The, which is negligible. Right. Where before... I think that rule of thumb comes around for... I think they're talking about body fat most likely, right? Like... What do they say? A second per pound is like the average, but it depends what that right. Like, so if you're ten is. pounds heavier, you think you'd be. This person said like three seconds per mile per pound or something, and be like, "That's thirty seconds no. a mile faster yeah. if I lost ten pounds." Like, That's That'd be crazy. <laughs> but okay, so, well, that, right? That's what I thought. I'm like, I don't think so. So, anyways, what I'm getting at with you, okay? 
the key to that was staying on top of your aerobic conditioning and eating enough. Is that what you credit this to? Like you didn't ever let it slip out mm-hmm. of your grasp. And if somebody is notably getting slower while they are trying to lean bulk or so to speak, they're doing it wrong. Is that your belief? If it is done right, you should not get, you should not get notably slower. I mean, slightly, but what do you like? What do you say to those people? What would you be like? What do we need to look for? metric wise yeah probably body fat percentage like like how is this bulk going are you putting on muscle or are you putting on like too much fat you know i think that could be an area where people might overdo it i haven't really come across too many people who've gone down this route have you guys really talked to too many people who are like i need to gain 15 pounds i've only seen the results of people who've tried it who didn't nail it you see people who do well and they just generally look like monsters, but then there's the people who come back and like, I lifted all winter and I just got super strong and they're just softer than mm-hmm. they were. And you know, they missed a piece somewhere, but I've never dove into the training of those people because the only per- people I talk to about it, cause it is a touchy subject. You want to say, Hey, how much did you gain? And what were you trying to gain? And how did that affect your body fat? And what did it do minutes per mile? Like, if they're not one of my athletes, I'm not asking mm-hmm. them that question. So I only know the people I've worked with, how it actually went. Yeah. So I, I'm actually not sure, Kirk, like where, what I would probably ask, but I probably would say like, okay, like how measured are you? Like how much, how many calories are you eating? And there's probably holes in that. It's like, are you, are you on top of all the metrics? Are you sure like the weight's going up in an appropriate, like, like, cause there's some percentages that you can kind of aim for when bulking. I can, I can, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I could find it real quick, but it's, um, and like, are you just making sure that it's all kind of working in pieces and making adjustments as you go? Cause I think that's like the, the, the main part of it is like just being on top of the metrics, which, which I was to a, to a point. And then when I realized things were working, I just kind of like put things in, auto autopilot and just kind of let it roll until I got to a point where I'm like, okay, this is enough. Do, do you feel like it was very important? Like on the important scale of keeping your run work aerobic at this point, like, is it important not to run too hard too quality to this or that when you're trying to put on muscle? Is there part of the equation that includes that? Like in your mind, like I, I tried not to do quality interval sessions. I tried not to do long threshold and tempos because of the deficit it would create or what it would take away from my strength training later. Was that ever part of the thought process or was it simply because you were in base phase with your running and you just stuck to the phase you were in? Yeah, more that. Yeah, I think, I think maybe if I was younger, if I had more time to do like body work and kind of work on little things to ensure that the quality work wouldn't take away from my strength work and just like playing around with stuff like that i think it it you could do both like i don't think it's the formula that i used is the only way to do it i think you probably could do a threshold block along with the bulking as long as you physically could move well and just could handle that type of load but again i think it's more just like a time equation on that point And and i just didn't have all those liberties to be like okay now i need to spend another five to seven hours working on like the smaller things to make sure that my movement's well and that I'm feeling physically, physically good. So I think you could probably still do it. What do you, what do you guys think? If you're eating enough. Well, I obviously agree with these things, <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree, but I think if I'm at home right now, if I'm scoring along at home and I'm thinking, all right, all right, all right, I think I can do this. I just have to lift two, maybe three times a week. Maybe for me, it's four. I'm going to keep my volume up, but I have to drop quality. Mm-hmm. What is 
that minimum effective dose of quality to keep in. Because I know that feeling of coming out of shape a little bit and getting back into it, and I'm heavier and I'm not quite as efficient. So I'd like us if we just went around the table right now and said, if it were me right now doing this block, you doing it over, me doing it over, Kirk doing it over with what we know now, how would you keep some run efficiency present? Like what's your minimum effective Mm. dose? For me, I would I would do probably just 30-30 intervals for slow-twitch athletes and maybe 60-60 intervals for fast-twitch athletes or something once a week, and then maybe some form drill like hundreds or 200s once a week. And I don't think I would do any threshold work or long work because it would be too detrimental, but I would try to find my small amount of speed that wouldn't give me any damage. And like now you mentioned that like I did go with like the initial block of of training was yeah. done with some short like sixty meter sprints for the mechanical stuff and the fluid like the fluidity part has been on my mind a little yeah. bit more as well. Um, I bet you could probably and we talked about this bracket doing if you want to keep threshold present doing that on the machines. Right, and I and I and I guess I don't even want to get to that yet. I want that to be a whole other yeah. conversation, but just. I want to run, but I don't want to lose my ability to run fast. What is that minimum effective dose workout on the run specifically? Biggest bang for my buck during this session, this this workout block, without negatively impacting everything I'm trying to do everywhere else, because I don't want to show up sore to the weight room. Yeah, I think I think you could probably do like I like your your recommendation would definitely be safe. Like do fast twitch, two hundreds, sixties, hundreds. Like you would be fine. I bet you could do. 800 to 1,000 meter threshold repeats if you're doing yeah. it. I, I think so. If you're not going crazy, if you're not trying to amass 40 minutes of work in, in those like 800s and 1,000s, I bet you could do that with... How, what would you go for? What's the minimum effective dose, you think, during this hypertrophy phase to keep you running in order? I'm gonna, I want numbers here today. Yeah, yeah. I bet, it, I bet a workout like six to eight by three minutes at threshold with like okay. 45 seconds recovery would be enough to to kind of keep things in. If it's only once a week, I think that, and you could probably put that strategically, like if you lifted hard on Friday, do that on Saturday, have Sunday, Monday to recover, Tuesday, Friday, drink. Like if you, or do the 10 day thing, if you give yourself enough time. With some 60s or 100s in there somewhere as well or no? I mean, I don't know. That would, that would be, I would, I don't think I would if I was doing the threshold stuff. So you'd eat one small, like a a half to three quarter workout per week. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Kirk? What what would you do if you were in this phase to keep your running in order? Um, I would do, yeah, I would do some short, uh, just efficiency work. It could just be strides or it would be like 30 second, 200s. I'd actually give myself some rest on those. Mm -hmm. And then I would do most of my fitness building because I just love this style would be would be progression tempos where I might only really be working pretty hard for a couple miles at the end, just spending nothing too fancy. I would just do pickup progressive tempos and end somewhere around 10 K to 10 mile race pace and cut it to be honest, just to keep like the foundation there. That's what I, that's what I would probably do, but I don't think you can go wrong doing a lot of threshold or work like that at that phase. Right. Did you, the thing I'm like thinking is like, what is surprising me about this conversation is I'm not sensing that you felt like you sacrificed anything to do this. Like most people are going to say like, I need to sacrifice X or I need to sacrifice Y in order to do this. And here I'm hearing like, 
dude, you're in 20 or 25 seconds slower in a 5k, but you're 11 pounds heavier. Like there, are, I don't see many sacrifices happening here. Like you didn't have to give anything. You just could take if you did it right. I think most, I think so. I, I don't know how well that would necessarily translate to a longer event, like a longer running event. So like how my climbing would be or something like that. If I was trying to do, Bad. It probably Way wouldn't bad. be great, <laughs> you know. Like, so I like yeah. I didn't sacrifice things that I wanted to do. Like, I probably could have still run a good ten mile, a good half marathon, or something like that. But like, I don't know if I could have done like the the OCR stuff as well, or you know, like two hour, two and a half hour efforts. Mm-hmm. That that was probably a piece that was sacrificed with this, but it was that was part that I was willing to do. Like, I made the decision. If I step back and thought, like, what is Rich going to say when we start asking him these questions? I would have thought Rich reduced his running to three days a week, and he was rowing and doing some ancillary work. He was strength training three to four days a week, doing the big three, and he just completely, like, shifted how he was spending his time. If I were a betting man, and I am, I would have bet hundreds or thousands on that was your approach because of the results you saw so quickly. Like, suddenly, you had posted a photo on Instagram. I'm like, who the (laughs) hell is that? Who's that guy with his tits hanging down in his abs just all team. jacked like where did this happen yeah i was just like holy smokes and it was like you said you were gonna do it and two months later i was like dude that dude put on like 10 pounds in two months so point being is like i am i've self-proclaimed an expert in this field and you didn't do what i would have predicted you have done i don't know about you bracken but i maybe you guys had conversations so you were more in the know but that is actually very surprising to me and actually very encouraging to hear that if done right you don't have to sacrifice a whole lot in order to do this. And so that's actually very profound to me in this conversation. I don't know how, what your takeaways are, Bracken, but for me, it's very noteworthy. Yeah, we haven't yet got to a I have to change my life style of training, which is Just cool. the eating. We've got to keep talking. we got that's to change right. the style of eating. That's the main deal. I want to make a note, just personal experience going into this. The last time I tried this, in my mind, I thought logically – I'm going to do all my quality work uphill during this. It's going to reduce my Mm -hmm. pounding. I'm going to be able to do more volume of it and still not come in beat up. And I had to scrap that. I found that when I really went in on lifting, my insertion points couldn't handle uphill Mm -hmm. running. My hamstring, back and knee, uh, even hip area. When I was squatting hard, running up and deadlifting hard, running up intervals at an angle, it was too stressful on my rear Mm -hmm. chain. I actually did better and was less beat up by like three to 5% intervals on the treadmill than 15 or 20. It was very strange. I, and I would have scripted that out for an athlete and I'm glad I went through it first myself before I did, because I would have been like, no, 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 you're fine. But I, I did not feel good. It's probably the only time in my life I haven't liked doing uphill work. It was too hard for me when I was trying to increase my squat and dead. Hmm. Actually, well, talking about I guess the lifting part, which I still wanted to get to specifics. Let's let's talk numbers. I want to know what puny Rich did coming off his Metcons, and then what like bulk peak Rich was doing as far as moving weight. Like, what did Rich start out with at his sets of twelve for squats, and where did he end up getting to? Like, I want to know for perspective for people, um, like what kind of improvement you saw on the strength front, and what you know dive into that part of the conversation what you think is necessary to get to maybe minimum standards or whatever your thoughts are on that yeah this will be great because we're gonna be like super wrong on like giving these suggestions on these numbers yeah 
you know, this is where you should be. And it's just going to be completely <laughs> off base. But we can do it anecdotally. So the so from when I started, I started lifting for like the DECA event. That would have been in uh, like January 21. No, I forget. I was, I remember I did like a 285 one rep for uh, a back squat. And then after the strength phase, I was at 325. In, in one week, I went... Uh, 325 back squat, 405 deadlifts, and then ran 1545 that weekend. And this was like kind of lead up into OCR stars. And I was like, all right, this seems to be working pretty well. Where like deadlift before was three, probably 350 something like 365 maybe. I remember it was like 40 pounds on both. Which I'm going to interject, still pretty good strength number. For an endurance athlete, those are fantastic numbers. I mean, those are fantastic numbers just to reiterate you were starting with pretty good base strength for an o- from ocr and doing crossfit for the, a long time you know like maybe at at peak ocr training would be like 335 and 265 for backs 275 for back squat so i can always kind of hover right around that but yeah like i remember that put in like 40 pounds on both of those lifts um in a pretty short amount of time yeah just kind of oh. pushing forward toward it so Gee. like do you think that you look at the Hunter McIntyres and the Ryan Kents and let's say the Rich Ryans, do you need to have a 320-pound squat and a 400-plus-pound deadlift to have the power it takes to move through these stations? Like, Does it take that strength to be a top 10 in the world contender? If you're not that strong, are you playing with half a deck of cards? I want to know. it helps. <laughs> Can your engine I, outwork that? No, I want, I want a firm I mean, answer. Because I would say this. Let's here's the deal. If I let's say, I mean, right now I'm squatting like I'm front squatting, so it's a little different. But I'm squatting like two ten for reps of six or something, right? At most, I'm gonna be at a two sixty five, two seventy five max on a back squat. If I went in to a high rocks with my base strength, and maybe I was doing three twenty by three on deadlifts, I would say I am plenty strong. Like I am going to go in and crush like. That strength is all I need. But that was rich when he was getting his ass mm-hmm. kicked strength. My strength right now would be your strength before you got rolling. And so here I am thinking I'm strong enough. And I'm now I'm sitting like, I'm not strong enough. Like there's obviously a difference there. So I'm getting, that's what I want to know. You could definitely do it. It would be the state, the stations <laughs> where you would lose time. I think that you would definitely lose time on this, on the stations where you think you would lose time on the sled push and pull. And you may be able to make that up via engine coming out and on the runs and if you could had good staying power if your volume was really high the back half of the race which lightens up considerably i think that you could do a good job in high rocks but if you come with it without a ton of volume and very specifically geared toward high rocks with those strength numbers yeah you're probably going to put yourself in a bit of a deficit it's probably going to be hard yeah what i wanted to hear that's what people need to hear and this one's tricky though because it depends who you're talking to are you trying to be like top five percent in the world or top one percent mm-hmm. and that matters i i am not a powerful athlete i'd say i'm an athletic runner i'm not a powerful athlete when i first started training for my first high rocks i did 185 by three on back squat and i was really struggling with that weight and i was probably top five percent in the world in this sport <laughs> because i could run and i could move functionally but i got destroyed by the top five top ten guys and by the time I was ready for my second one, I did 295 by three on back squat. 
That's a big jump. A lot of that is just Movement. getting reps in yeah. of squatting. I figured out how to neuromuscular actually, adaptation. Yeah, I figured out how to put my legs into the ground with force. Right. While staying braced, you know, a lot but of that translates to pushing the sled. Like either way you slice it, doesn't matter. Right. And then I still got worked, but now I was fighting for the top three at a regular race instead of top eleven. And then after that, I never got to my next one, but. I put a ton of specific sled work in, and I think my back squat dropped a little bit because I wasn't focusing on it, but I was ready to move the sled. So it's tricky because do you want to be good at it or do you want to be outstanding? I don't think that the lifting metrics matter if you want to be Mm -hmm. good. I think you have to know how to push your feet into the ground on the sled. But to be, yeah, top 10, top 5 in the world, you have to really increase your absolute strength. And know how to push the sled. Right. Like you could push that sled. You could probably push a, a much heavier sled and not have a big back squat. But if you had a big back squat, it'd be easier to push that sled even further, right? Like like, like what you were doing, yeah. moving between specific work. And I think that there is definitely a, a a threshold for how high you need these numbers to be. Like I think, mm-hmm. yeah, like what Hunter's at, he's over 500 for his deadlift. And he's probably, I don't know, just under 400 for his back squat. Have we seen five on a deadlift on oh, yeah. He did yeah. that 500. He did the, like what that Mike Morale did where he pulled 500 oh, he did. and ran a mile under five okay. minutes all together. Um, yeah, he's, he's up over it. So, but like, is that too much <laughs> for a lot of people like to, it, for me to put on that type of size to get that strong, then I would probably be towing the line with sacrificing the running part, but who knows? But who knows if I, if I actually try to get there. But I don't know if it's that necessary. So then the big question is, coming off of this, you competed. What happened? DECA and Hyrox, what happened? So Hyrox went way better. Yeah, so that mm-hmm. went, like it's, I mentioned, the camp, my first race was a seven-minute PR, and that was third at North American Championships, and then ended up seventh at the World Championships. Uh, like, and at the end, it wasn't necessarily a strength thing. It was more of a fitness thing, kind of leading into that second half of my season, just some ups and downs here, there, and kind of lost track of what I needed to be doing. Uh, and I, so I think I left a little bit on the table there, but it wasn't because of strength. I think it was just like... Didn't you have some injury stuff going on too you were watching? I'm, oh, I moved. And then I got COVID and like kind of in that season. And then I, and I just like lost, like, then I started rushing things, you know? Like, it's like, let me try to cram things in, like get ready for... And the whole, I got excuses. I got hit, hit, I got mm-hmm. excuses. And like, that, I didn't know if I was going to qualify because I was running the line. So I was like, I need to be in really good shape for this event. And then it was just like kind of a, a disaster just mentally, but ended up getting in. But it was a unequivocal success for High Rocks. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What about DECA? To be seen in DECA. So I've done, we're right in the middle of DECA, DECA season right now. And coming out of uh, High Rocks, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to, Go through this a diff, like a similar type of phase where I'm building strength and bring up my body weight a little bit because in the competition phase my my body weight dropped a little bit so I was like okay let's let's kind of get back into a surplus, go back into this hypertrophy phase, put on a little bit more muscle and then kind of do the same type of formula, get into deca and then kind of sharpen up for that. So the first deck, the first two deck fits that I did, which was the past like uh, six weeks or so, one was like two weeks ago, the one was like four weeks ago. My running has had a hard time coming out of this phase where I was basically just doing base building work and without the quality work there. And I didn't add in the quality work while doing this strength phase this time either because it worked so well last time. But now I'm at the point where 
I'm putting in the quality running work. So where before for DECA, I didn't have to do a ton of quality running work and was just able to be fast. Now it's seeming like, okay, I'm going to have to kind of switch this, the running, the running piece on a little bit harder, a little bit heavier than what I had had to do for even like a high rocks. Um, so your running rent came due. It did. Which you might expect in a DECA. And if you look at the athletes who have really performed well, I would say a Ryan Kent build is more of the exception, not mm. the rule. As far as top performers, body weight wise, it seems like a little less power is required to perform and it's more run reliant. Do you agree or do you not agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you saw a guy like Rylan, who was definitely big and strong, but not not high rocks big. VJ did really well in his last one. You know, Riker's not, he's very strong, but he's not physically imposing. Mark Adet did really well. So people seem to can kind of come out of OCR and come into deck and do pretty well just based off of being able to run and, and their mod is strong. You guys talk, mm. mod. Mm. But <laughs> you still haven't trademarked that, Bracken. You could be rolling in millions by now if you did that right. Actually, I did, and I'm running up a tab here on you boys. <laughs> well, I'm going to need to see some paperwork. Um, I'm going to 1099 um, you. That's not the phrase. Whatever it is, you're getting a deal. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like independent contract work. I don't think yeah, 1099 would be that I gave you something. And now you're being to taxed use for it. it. Whatever it is. I trademarked it behind your back. That's good work. That's like good work. Okay, so if if the two paths diverge in the wood, mm-hmm. High Rocks and Deca, how far apart are they? Like how clearly it works for you for High Rocks, and it initial because right you had immediate success on High Rocks, and now you're retooling it slightly because it wasn't immediate mm-hmm. Deca mm-hmm. improvement. So how far apart? Are these? Is it like one piece different, or is there a different type of pre-competition phase that needs to happen for Deca that didn't for High Rock? I think it. Needs, I think it's pretty different. I think it's pretty different. It's it's half the amount of time. It's twice as it's twice as fast in terms of the speed of running, and the station work needs to be fast. So I think it's much closer to what we would expect, like training for a five k or ten k on the track, to be like that type of physical feeling that you need to experience to to develop the fitness you need where high rocks is such a grind it's slow it's it's like just built like volume is really key there where intensity seems to be where decafit is really going to thrive on so when do they diverge can you do a hybrid base build Mm -hmm. do a high rocks and then get like four to six weeks and do a great deca or or can you not even do the same off-season for the two? Can you do your your hypertrophy phase with your maintenance running and then get specific for DECA, or does it have to be built differently? I think you can, I'm betting that you can do the base build the same way and then sharpen things up. I mean, like any build, like 12 to 16 weeks would be ideal, but we're going to see some people do, but I think a high rocks before a DECA is definitely going to be the, the way to to go like i think people would be able to sharpen up pretty pretty quick five i think maybe four weeks four to five weeks to sharpen into a deca coming off of a high rocks training i think could be enough um, if we're not talking about optimal performance because it would be like yeah coming out of cross-country season preparing 8k 10k sharpen into a 3k mile i think it's pretty similar to that where i think you'll, you'll get some Okay. Because the transition, like the feeling of the working through the transitions and the fitness, like that you need to be stronger than to get into the sharpness. Like more 
threshold saturated for high rocks versus like vo2 max type stuff for deca if you were to simplify it or would you say that's not accurate threshold threshold is kind of thresholds the middle right threshold is either direction but yeah if you're going i don't think there's much room for vo2 max stuff in high rocks i think longer tempo you know 45 to 75 minute tempo type efforts if you were to train concurrently which generally people aren't one or the other it'll do Mm. them both could you keep your vo2 max or faster your stingy sharp stuff on the machines during your high rocks training would that be a shortcut to being ready to jump into it afterwards or will that not translate to the middle of a high rocks i think it would i I think i think it would because the just like the perceived exertion just alone it, yeah. it would be helpful going from say i'll use myself for example because i'm kind of doing something similar on the ski erg right now we're kind of working to some vo2 max intervals and i'll i'll, I'll pull like 145 for three minutes or something like that and it feels horrible and then if i go to a high rocks it's my first station and i'm pulling like 149 for roughly the same amount of time it's going to feel much better you know i think i think that that will translate fairly well so, but I kind of, I kind of think that they're isolated between the two. I don't know if necessarily if the VO2 max work on the machines would translate to the running part. What do you guys think? Well, I think it's just more about recognizing how something, that's why we do compromise OCR work to get ready for a Spartan race is just recognizing the feeling. So it's not new on race day. And if that makes you more comfortable on the station, that should translate to getting back to running more comfortably. Should it not? So it might not do anything for your run economy, but it might do a lot for how your chest and lungs and heart feels once you start running again. And that's about the secret sauce right there, isn't it? Should help your mod. Should help your mod. Should. Should help your mod. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then if you uh, – keeping this line of thought, if you're going to do both high rocks – well, first of all, I want to finish the one question. The top 1% that Bracken was talking about, the hunters, you, anybody that qualified for high rocks world championships – the 1%. We're talking like numbers like yours are probably in middle of the road for the top 10 in high rocks, I would assume. Like numbers like the 405 deadlift, 325 squat, like those are middle of the road numbers. So if you just want to gauge yourself from where you're at, like, yes, you could do great with a 250 back squat and a 300 pound deadlift and all that, of course, especially age group, or if you're not looking to be on top of a podium. But I just want to reiterate, like, that's how strong these guys are at the top. Mm -hmm. As strong as you roughly give or take. Correct. Yeah, I would say middle of the pack's fair. Like, there's definitely some guys who are bigger and stronger that might not be as fast, you know. And on on the other side, there might be guys who are not as strong who have a bigger engine and can can kind of outwork it. So, um, but I don't. But yeah, I think that was. I think that's fair. I think kind of be like the mean. Okay, I just want to make sure that was. I figured that was the answer. And then with, with Bracken's question as well about Deca versus High Rocks, most people are doing both. They're probably dipping their toes into both water, just like you are. If you had to focus on one style, like I'm all in on high rocks or I'm all in on deca fit, which way to train would be the best to perform close to your ceiling in both? If you were to be like, I know that what you're going to say, because it's pretty clear, I think, but just so people, I don't know, have something to go off of. Heavy weights, long grindy stuff, high rocks focus, or some sharp, stingy, quicker transition deca, like which one is going to get you most bang for your buck for both types of events? The high rocks training. 
Yeah. Can you explain why? And I mean, that's, I knew the answer. Can you explain why that would be? Yeah. I mean, just like the analogy, like you could run, you can't, you can run a good 5k off a marathon training, but you can't run a good marathon on 5k training. It's essentially the same, the same deal. So if you Mm -hmm. want to be able to sharpen down pretty quick, just to have your base of, of strength and the volume that you need to put in on the station work on the sleds or the ski or the row, you could easily just transition that pretty, like to sharpen down into deca fit. And you don't have to change that much to do well in deca fit. <laughs> you know, like I, if I was like, Hey, I'm doubling down on deca fit. I wouldn't have done any of the, the, uh, the bulking stuff. I would have just done a high rocks here or there, took my lumps and then came back in the deca fit without needing to change the way my body looked at all. And I probably would still be hitting some OCR events with you guys. But I think that, yeah, high rocks, if you want to go all in, High rock should probably be the main goal, and then you could hit the deca as it as it comes. And the seasons seem to be split, which has been nice. It's been like, there's like a high rock season and then a deca fit season, right? So far, who knows how that's going to go? High rocks is the Spartan U.S. National Series mm. of hybrid, where that's where the glory is right now. You guys, I think, are actively changing it right now. You Kent Rylan on the female side. We just saw some people re-enter the arena after not being in there for a while. With Lauren, um, who else do we have? Tara, Bridget Brown, Vivian. Dr. Alondra. Alondra Greenlee. Dr. Alondra. Yeah, so we had a bunch of people come in that hadn't been there, and it's helping bring it a little bit more to the forefront, but Hyrox is where the big money is at. It's where the the big live streams are. It's where the big crowds come through. It's a European brand, so it's sexy and exciting. But it's just like the U.S. National Series where it's long and it's at altitude. (laughs) Like it's heavy and it is a grind. You could run sprints and stadiums off of altitude mountain training, but you could not run altitude mountain races off of training for a sprint yeah. or stadium. And yeah, you could sharpen down off a of high rocks, but you just can't handle the grind and the weight of a high rocks unless you prep mm-hmm. for it. And I think, like you said, DECA, you could get by on some a dose of speed and some specific Metcon work off high rocks training and be ready. You couldn't Metcon or dose of sled up from DECA to high rocks really. I think it would just be too, like, the, if you could put in, like, a high rocks workout, if your volume is not there to handle that quality work, it just yeah. won't work. You just put yourself back and dig a hole for yourself. Isn't that kind of what's a little glorious about high rocks is, like, if you're going to say, let's take two things that are going to completely butt heads with each other and let's make <laughs> you train that way. Like, yeah. If you want to do high rocks, great. Run more. And guess what also? You're also going to lift heavier. Let's do both. Let's do two things that on paper conflict each other completely. And that's exactly what it's going to take to be good at this sport. It really is. I mean, polar opposite of what most would ever consider making sense. And yet that's exactly the formula, which is kind of wild. So you're saying if you're going to go all in, basically air on the side of more volume, air on the side of head pushing heavier weights around versus quicker transition Metcon style work like Bracken was talking about, right? Just to yeah, bring that full definitely. circle. Okay. I want to talk now about that concept Rich just just brushed on, which is volume. This is Hyrox is high volume hybrid mm-hmm. sport. DECA doesn't need to be. When I when I was doing well in this I won two stadium series, I believe. Two? That's it? Three? How many did they have? Humble humble brag. Facts. Doesn't matter. Whatever it was. The point is I won them on two different styles of training. The first one I won at Sea level training like a 5K athlete who did some Metcon work. I was fast. I was nasty. I could not race a mountain race. The second one, I was training for Tahoe out in the in the U.S. National Series in Colorado, and I could do every big long race adequately well. And I was also a good stadium racer. 
the difference was I, the volume allowed me to handle the grind of the mountains. I was a high volume stadium racer at the time, you know, 70 plus mile weeks with 10 to 20,000 feet of vert. And my focus was the national series and stadiums. That's like, that's what high rocks Mm -hmm. is in DECA. You have to be a high volume athlete to do high rocks, but it looks differently for everyone. We've seen Hunter do 200-mile weeks of cycling. We've seen him get up to 60, 70-mile weeks of running. They all work to varying degrees. We see Kent, who's a high-volume hybrid athlete. And then we see people who are overseas oftentimes doing high volume of CrossFit, high volume of lifting, high volume of station work, and low-volume running. You've got Dylan, who does high-volume Everything, everything under the sun all the stuff he's never going super heavy never going super fast but they all have a high volume approach when you look at their training hours they're all high they would compare well to half marathon and marathoners in terms of just pure volume spent training and that is hard to fathom in a perceived power sport what's concerning about this is that it, it could very well because of how mixed modal the whole thing is is this could end up like triathlon or crossfit where you could you could train yes. six hours a day <laughs> you know where to really kind of build yeah. that fun so i think we can we're going to see some crazy performances on this end when people can really kind of commit to that because there is so many uh-huh. different avenues to go that you can put in a load of volume i was just thinking about this on my last run at least at one point said you you're very quiet on this run today i was like oh shoot i'm thinking hybrid training instead <laughs> of talking with you but the idea that High volume training is needed to be world-class in high rocks. Like you're not doing three to five watts a day, like go home. And in triathlon, if you're not doing 20 to 30 hours a week, go home. You can't be world-class anymore, but triathlon does not require an ounce of weight room work if you don't want to. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of triathletes do it, but it's not required. And high rock, or sorry, and CrossFit does not require volume of aerobic work. Some do it, but you don't have to. You should, for sure. You should. And there, that was the talk that Matt Frazier made his jump when he started doing hours of assault bike and things like that. But you don't have to. This is the only sport I know of where you have to do both. Mm. And I think finding that that ground, what is the highest I can maintain of both, is going to lead to a lot of people experimenting and blowing up spectacularly <laughs> and getting injured or overtrained. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm feeling like preparing for DECA, I'm going to kind of ride that razor's edge on the intensity side of things. And just because of the mixed modal pieces, I'm going to try to dose that a little bit more frequently just to see if I can blow up spectacularly or not, or if I can hang on for dear life. But I think Hyrox, you could probably just load on volume and be pretty good for a while if you're just managing everything well. But we'll see. When you're trying to simplify it, really... If you want to do well at high rocks, you need to train the volume of an elite half marathoner. And if you want to do well at DECA minimum, you need to train like an elite 10K athlete. Well, elite 10K athletes are putting in 80 miles a week minimum. And an elite half marathoners are over 100. Well, you don't need to run that, but how much time is that per week? It might be 8 to 13 hours of aerobic conditioning to perform at your very best if you are all in. I understand most people listening aren't. Uh, able to have that sort of time commitment and they have other priorities in their life. But that's really the perspective you're giving is like, that's mm-hmm. what it takes, which is kind of mind blowing. And people look at high rocks as like gym work and they look at it as bench pressing and deadlifting. And that's going to get me there. And it's like, 
dude, at the very best, this is an hour long effort. And for most of you listening, it's getting closer to an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Think about that. If you were preparing for an hour and a half long race, how much running would you do beforehand? A ton. It's just very, very deceiving. I think there's still like a big segment of even the athlete informed population that still looks at this a little wrong. They're not absorbing the gravity of the the time spent in these crazy, you know, elevated heart rate zones. And I think it's just important to remind people of that. And then they, and then they do their first high rocks and they're like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But the how varies athlete to athlete. Like we all agree, you've got to do volume, but I just want to toss some names out and you tell me how many days per week you think they're running. Hunter McIntyre. Five. You. Six. Ryan Kent. Six. Uh, Lauren Weeks. She could be running 20 times a week. <clears throat> yeah, nah. yeah. Chris Roglowski. Yeah, seven days a week. Uh, Tobias. Yeah, six. Tim. Yeah, five. Okay, is there anyone under five days per week that you would guess who's top 10 men or, fe- or, or, or female, male or female? Not offhand. I mean, there's some of the female side of coming from CrossFit that are pretty strong. And if anything, if they're, if they're not running, they're on the, on the bike or something. Okay. So how does that trickle down to the open wave who wants to be good? Do you have to emulate the pros and run that often? Or do you have to keep the percentage uh, maybe different for you, but the total volume the same? Do you have to put more into other less impactful means? What do you think? Because Kirk... Kirk runs what three, four times a week. You bumped up a little bit now, Kirk, but four or five now. I'm really spreading my wings here, Brad. Look at those results too. But I'm filling the ga- I'm filling the gaps with. I'm not like just working out three or four days a week. We know this, but yes. So how do you how do you fill the volume needed? If you're talking eight to ten hours, is really what's needed for a high rocks. How should the average person fill that? You just say do what they do. You got to run four to five times a week minimum. Yeah, I think that there's ways to kind of get around it with, with like the station work and the the mixed modal work, just putting them on the rower and the skier just to get some familiarity out of those things where people who are able to train, you know, 10 to 15 hours per week can kind of do both. I don't necessarily think you have to run as much. The volume, I think the overall running volume, I think can come down um, just to, to increase the familiarity with the, with the machines. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of where I lean most of the time. And then, then helping with the station work to just kind of moving in and out. You can amass that type of volume without killing yourself on the runs. Um, that's kind of where I lean. I've seen people in the past talk about they break down the percentage of race time spent doing certain things. And that's how the best way to train mm-hmm. is. I don't necessarily think that's a golden rule by any means, but it, it often helps. Like in OCR, if you're doing 90% running and 10% obstacles or carries it would make sense to some people to spend if you're going to run if you're going to do 10 hours of training a week nine could be running and 10 could be or sorry nine could be running and one could be obstacle work and then you add strength on top of that we're in triathlon you know if your swim is going to be an hour and a half your bike's going to be six and your marathon is going to be four that gives you a good breakdown of how you could set your week up it's not a golden rule, but how much do you think you can apply that to hybrid racing with where you put your running? For example, a high rocks where it's pretty darn close to 50-50, and can you just do 10 hours of training and only five are running? That, that, that's an interesting way to put it, because I would think that you would need to run more than 50% because of how important, and because it's not, the other 50 is not one other thing. You know, it's, what, 5% of... 
of the rest in each of the stations. So that's an, a simplified way to kind of put it, but I would think that you would still need 65% is kind of what is just like gut reaction to that. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, that, I didn't ask it for me. I want to hear what you guys We're think. Here. Because then by, if you follow that logic, can you spend a small amount of time on the machines? Or do you have to go in bigger there? Do people over or underplay the role of certain stations in their training? Is, is I guess the real question if they're looking at it too cut and dry. Because the machine work is so small, I don't think you need to put a ton of time on there. Like and and like I don't think you need to row three hours a week or something like that, or ski two hours a week. I think you can kind of get away with like an hour of each and have it be a little bit of quality and kind of mixing it with some of the running um, because it is a smaller piece to it. It's interesting with the machines because it's the, the demands are so small during the race, just like a thousand on like four minutes, eight minutes total on both of the machines. So it's hard to get a ton of volume in on the machine so that they can really improve the way that your your quality work kind of progresses. So it's still something I'm trying to work out. Like if, you're, if your rowing is that much better, like how much is that really going to matter outside of that one station? I think there's definitely aerobic benefits that you can have from it. And maybe I'd probably try to push someone toward that if they have a hard time running that type of volume. But... I don't know. It's... What do you think, Kirk? There's like this whole piece of the equation where everything is done at such a high heart rate that yes, strength matters, but if anything is done compartmentalized or individualized where you're not coming into it and going out of it with a heart rate that's through the roof, it becomes less effective. So how do we keep our heart rate high and, and make sure we're training in that zone while running dull? Like you can go lunge till you're blue in the face. That's fine, but it's no good if your heart rate's at low rested level like when it comes to translating mm. to the race or it's minimally good so to speak so i just feel like like focusing more on the run high heart rate in and out um with run being the centerpiece because we're always coming back to the same thing right like it's so infused er, inked incrementally throughout the event that it has to come it's like even though you're right it's 50 percent of the time spent roughly like the way it's webbed throughout the event makes its weight so much more important. Do you uh -huh. understand what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. there's some like subjectivity to it that like you, I can't pinpoint, but it's just, it's fingers are in everything, right? So that's why it matters. That, I don't know how else to explain in my own mind what, what that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think like the working on the stations, like isolating the stations or isolating the sled is a great way to raise your ceiling. Like, and if you only have eight to 12 weeks or so to prepare for, a high rocks and that's just like you're 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 just trying it one time i think then you should intertwine everything just so you can be familiar with like the race demands but if you really want to maximize things i think spending x amount of time on the skier to take your time from your 2k from i don't know eight minutes to 7 30 i think would help if you have that amount of time and that's where the amount of intensity this is where i'm this is like what I'm like right in now is like how much intensity is appropriate for this and kind of steering away. Can I, can I leave the, like the 80, 20 principles of running behind and dose more intensity in there and get a little bit more anaerobic in different areas. And can that raise everything at the same time? Or mm -hmm. am I going to overflow things? Um, and like the, I take a cue heavily from CrossFit on this because there's they, they dose anaerobic work every day you know they're always doing something 
And these, like, they have different injuries here or there, but they come out and they're doing things that people haven't done before, you know? So I'm thinking that, like, taking pages from this, this, this book that is kind of like unscripted and is being written, as opposed to taking what, what we know of an endurance training of like two quality sessions, recover the rest of the time. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't like, can you do, it's, it's can so you tricky. do ski and row stuff and run stuff? Yeah. It's tricky. I look at CrossFit all the time for the amount of intensity they're unafraid to throw in. And I want to emulate lots of that. And I hate being this guy, but there's that little piece in the back of my mind that just says it's such a medically enhanced sport that can we abide by their recovery rules? (laughs) So I think it's exactly like you have to look to them. You have to cue off of them, but you have to do your training that you're doing right now where you're like you're pushing it, pushing it, pushing it rather than jumping into what you think they say you should be able to handle. You have to find your limit of recovery and then you'll obviously get better at all of that and you can recover more and then do more but when you guys experience when you're needing to recover from a hard run is it that like systemically you're fatigued or is it like musculature and just needing time to heal essentially like what is it that stops you from doing hard running workouts every day it can be both of course early on muscle late in the block systemic yeah it's pretty fair yeah actually but I will say to your point, because I've done plenty of bouts of cross training intermixed with running, and I've mixed quality work with both. Like, you recover much quicker from quality work on right. non impact mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, I've done, Christ, I can do heavy 60 60 intervals on the assault bike and turn myself inside out and then go run the next day, and my legs somehow feel good. And I'm like, well, I don't get yeah. it. Like, what's going on? So, like, there is something there. I think we're going to have to, that's going to be an age old question we might ask ourselves till the end of time, like where that balance is struck and where 80 20 goes out the window. It's a good question. I don't know if I have yeah, any I think, answers. I don't think 80-20 applies to right. hybrid I'm, racing. I'm starting to think the same. Right. I think recovery. And, and 80-20 is really just like, a, let's get you in the door of the conference. Like 80-20 is our set of golf clubs we're using to get you in to let me talk to you about a, a timeshare. <laughs> 80-20 seems clean and easy. Like, come on, let's talk about, about really, we're talking about balancing recovery. Right. It's not that 80-20 matters. It's that being recovered to always nail your quality matters. But 80-20 is a clean label to slap on that might apply to nobody. But the premise applies to everyone. And I think that what version of that applies to hybrid, which is I'm always needing to be recovered from my strength work and my run work. And outside of that, I think you're both right on that you can dose a lot more station work Mm -hmm. hard than you can running or lifting. Mm-hmm. And just not being afraid to kind of go there or just being yeah. aware of the signals when you're taking it too far, which are not always clear when you're in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you were to squat four days per week, but just like two sets or run three by thousand four days per week, I don't think you'd be getting a whole lot better than if you just did two big sessions. But you could dose in four days a week of, of station work and do little work and get much better because of the skill component that gets added because almost none of us have skier or rowing background where you've just worked it for years. Mm-hmm. That skill component matters as much as your absolute power does. Yeah. I found that for DECA in particular. Like the skill in DECA, like this, the times are it's so fast that the, that's where you can kind of like really grab time. And doing station work 
periodically throughout the week could be a great way to to raise things. Fellas, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but we're on a time clock here, and it's about 90 seconds from expiring. And I'm disappointed because I had one thing I still wanted to get to you with you. With you so I'm going to ask a very quick series of questions. <laughs> Lightning round. It's like if... It's like if I say shoes, Bracken's ears perk up. And if I say nutrition, I assume Rich's ears perk up. Oh, yeah. And we didn't really get to dive into that like you like. but And what I'm going to ask is not applicable to everybody, and we just need to understand that. Rich, how much do you weigh right now? Right now? I actually did in-body this morning. I was 175.2. Okay. 175. And how much – and how much – now let's say – in your hypertrophy phase, you're running or doing eight hours a week of cardio. Well, you mentioned roughly, let's just say eight hours of running. How many calories? It's a blanket statement. I don't want to know. I don't even want to know the the breakdown of the macros. How many calories per day was it taking you to maintain your aerobic conditioning and still gain muscle while strength? What were you in? What was your ballpark for? So people understand the surplus that is needed, and it needs to be like elevator speech. So. Go. Yeah. So, so my, uh, my day to day isn't too demanding. So it ends up being about 4,000 calories, 4,000 to 4,200 calories or so like that is, is enough of a surplus. You mean your job isn't, you're not out roofing all day or you're not running boxes for UPS. You're sitting on your butt most of the time. Is that what you're saying? I'm talking to you guys about stupid stuff and yeah, just sitting here. So yeah. So my, my, my neat, okay. if you will, is not very high. But if you were working, let's say, your old personal training job, which let's say I'm on my feet six hours a day, it's about all the time I spend in the gym these days between everything, you were moving around, would you add additional 500 calories to that if you were on your feet moving, for example? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at least. So mm-hmm. a sedentary lifestyle outside of training at a guy who weighs about 170 pounds and is full-time endurance training while trying to bulk is eating at least 4,000 calories a day in order to do so. Yeah. Yep. Just wanted to get that across. Okay. Done. I don't mean to harsh break but if people are living under a rock and they don't know where the heck to find you like where do people listen to you more if they are not sick of you already <laughs> race brain podcast race dot brain on instagram uh reinforced running reinforced running rich on instagram uh reinforced running podcast all those places so you can catch me anywhere bracken you got any last tidbits <laughs> no no don't even open the, the can <laughs> don't even like creak the door open because i'm gonna plow through it <laughs> On that note, Rich, thank you for your time, brother. Good chatting, like always. Boys, thanks for having me. 